0: Welcome back to a brand new season of uh, ONS Energy Talks. My name is Inger Johanna Stenberg and I work with Communications in ONS Foundation. We are kicking off this year looking north and especially the Norwegian continental shelf and its potential. What is the potential? How does it look from the UK and Europe? And will Norway maintain its status as Europe's oil and gas supplier of choice? When we know other energy carriers and technologies, they are making their mark in more and more. Could we even talk about the NCS and the North Sea as an energy super basin? Many, many big questions and luckily we have Neven Borgerdi from Wood Mackenzie with us. He is the research director for North Sea Upstream. Welcome. Thanks for having me. First. Who are you and how long have you been diving into the oil and gas industry in the North Sea? Well, I've now been
1: covering uh, the North Sea sector for close to 10 years. Um, So ever since I joined Woodmac back in 2014, I've been covering the the upstream space. Um, Initially started out looking at Europe. Um, So that was, I guess, more emerging markets like Ireland, like Greenland, even Iceland for a period. But being um, specifically focused on the North Sea and, and Norway, for um the vast majority of that time um so yeah a, a pretty uh interesting time i guess to be covering the the upstream sector it's been pretty volatile um but you know lots to do and obviously at Woodmack our bread and butter is upstream um that's kind of what we do a big part of my job is getting out and about and speaking to people i'm in stavanger often in oslo um and that helps um Provide help or helps us basically provide research to to our clients in that space. But we've really expanded over the the last few years um, in light of the energy transition. We now provide coverage right across the natural uh, resource sector. So um, the North Sea, pretty uh, pretty interesting place to cover from that perspective as well.
0: Sounds like a good start. Um, let us start with a quick uh, quick fire round uh, on the North Sea. In three words, how does the potential of the Norwegian continental shelf look like from the UK?
1: Pretty big. That's two words, but I think it covers covers it pretty well, particularly from a UK perspective.
0: And uh, you wrote a very interesting chapter in the ONS Energy Agenda last summer, the summer of 22, where you uh, mentioned an energy super basin. And I know Wood McKenzie have talked about that quite a lot. So what is an energy super basin?
1: So it's a basin that has firstly abundant oil and gas resources and that's typically been what a super basin is. An energy super basin is one that has oil and gas but also is co-located with both clean electricity and hub scale CCUS potential. Uh,
0: If we then look at the North Sea what other energy carriers and low carbon alternatives. Do you see will make an impact in the North Sea and the NCS?
1: Well, look, Norway's got got lots of potential, which I'm sure we'll cover um, later in the session. It's got you know an early mover advantage in CCUS, um lots of you know hydrogen potential, both blue and green, and of course a big part of that is the the offshore wind potential that it has too. Um, but but clearly lots of headwinds um, to realise in that potential.
0: And before we dive a little further into this, um, there's been a lot of talk about the Barents Sea. How does the Barents Sea and the energy potential look from outside Norway? As short as possible. Um, Complicated. (laughs) That's a good start. Uh, Let's look a little closer uh, at a few things. Um, In Norway, we just had the announcement of the APA round. Uh, That's uh, For those who don't know, that is the awards in predefined areas for oil and gas exploration. And in addition, there's also been new acreage for CO2 storage announced. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's also, as you mentioned briefly, development with offshore wind, and we see the twenty sixth uh, licensing round has been postponed, if not maybe even cancelled. Depends on who you're asking. So, how does it look like? Uh, you mentioned the energy super basin. how How does all this play together?
1: Yeah, I mean, the one thing Norway has going for it um, is its location. Um, As I say, it, it ticks all the boxes when it comes to being one of those energy super basins. And because of that... I think it's still able to attract some of the the biggest companies. You know, if you look at the, the Euro majors, for example, you know, all of them still have a direct or indirect, you know, stake on the Norwegian continental shelf. And a lot of those same companies are moving into these new areas like, you know, CCUS and then starting to think about hydrogen as well. And thinking about it from a, an oil and gas perspective. I mean, in the short term, things are looking really good for Norway. You know, it established itself as a supplier of choice last year, particularly, I think, with everything going on with Russia, Ukraine, and the impact that that had on on the European energy markets. You know, Norway really stepped up its output, particularly in gas. It's a leader in upstream decarbonisation. You know, over 50% of production is powered from shore. Its emissions intensity is about a third of the global average. Um, So really good from that perspective. And, you know, I think in spite some of the fiscal tweaks, you know, that we've seen in in the last couple of years, you know, I think it's fair to say Norway has pretty broad public and political support, particularly if I'm looking at it from a UK perspective, um, which has been um, extremely, you know, volatile over the last couple of years. So that, that fiscal point is an important one. Of course, we had the tax package, um, which you know, just recently expired. You know those tax incentives that were introduced during the last price crash in 2020 have really you know, stimulated investment. Um, you know this year alone, we've had nearly 20 PDOs submitted. By our numbers, it equates to about 36 billion dollars of capEx. That's the level of spend that's been sanctioned in Norway in 2022. That's a, a new record for a single year it's also the second highest level of spend globally that was sanctioned in 2022 so that gives you a bit of a perspective on how norway looks in the and certainly the short term uh, but there are headwinds to all of this of course
0: let's uh, let's um uh, stay a little on the tax package it's been quite controversial in in some parts and very welcomed in other parts from what you see in the analytics uh the data you sit on was it A good tax package? Was this the way to go?
1: I think if prices had stayed low, it was um, probably a good tax package. Um, You know, I think there's always going to be the debate that maybe the government has given away more um, than it had to, particularly given where prices have have gone since it was introduced and obviously they've gone up. You know, and our numbers show that the post-tax returns for the vast majority of these projects look better than the pre-tax returns, which you know, doesn't quite fit with tax neutrality, which, um, you know, typically encourages sound investments. And of course, because all of these projects have come at the one time, it has placed a lot of pressure on the, on the supply chain. You know, lead times and budgets are up, um, particularly for projects sanctioned towards the end of the window. Um, you know, if we look at how our, our cost profiles have evolved, they're actually up 40% on average from the feed stage through to PDO submission, 66% up for projects that were sanctioned in 2022. Um, so that really gives you a, a sense of the tightness that we're seeing in the supply chain. And from a capex per BOE basis, you know, Norway now is sitting about $20 per barrel. That's that's nearly three times higher than the average CapEx per barrel for projects that were sanctioned elsewhere around the world in 2022. So from a, a supply chain perspective, I think there are, there are definitely risks. Now, the companies have been telling us, they'll be telling their investors, they've built in a lot of contingency in these projects, which is why costs have gone up so much. But I think that market tightness hints that we could see further issues with execution. So can it deliver those you know, 30, 40 projects that are currently under development? Um, I think it's a really big ask. Uh, both on the, the E&P and the, and the supply chain side.
0: So how does that work um, together with becoming an energy super basin with the wind, hydrogen, all the other uh, energy carriers we see? Where would you say the investors should put their money here? Because it's, it's going to be tight. We're not going to have a big enough workforce probably. The supply chain is going to be, uh, as you say, hit pretty hard with a lot of work at the same time. Where should we focus now to make this happen? Or should we start looking at other energy carriers, other industries? I mean,
1: sitting on the fence, of course, it has to be a mix, a mix of both, right? Um, I mean, the, the point you make about, you know, moving into new energies, people is a really good one. You know, the supply chain capacity has been cut, you know, quite, quite severely since the crash in, in fourteen and fifteen, And because of this background of energy transition, you can understand the supply chain doesn't want to add any more capacity because we don't know how long that capacity will be required but at the same time if you look at returns um, the returns for these projects you know far exceed the returns that you're looking at for areas like offshore wind you know there's a lot of competition in offshore wind costs have come down a lot but at the same time competition has really increased as well Um, so from a, a returns perspective a cash generation perspective that can help fund that energy transition. I think it has to be a mix of both. And we're having the same debate in the UK at the moment. The UK is not as fortunate as Norway in the sense that we are an energy importer. And, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny on new developments. People think, you know, a lot of these resources, discoveries should stay in the ground. But at the same time, demand doesn't seem to be falling anytime soon. You know, we still have oil and gas demand growing globally out to the the 2030s. So it's a real juxtaposition between being a, a leader in decarbonisation, be driving that energy transition, but then also trying to tick the boxes in, in terms of energy security. And, and for Norway, you know, if it wants to continue to be a, an energy exporter, then oil and gas will need to continue to be developed. And even if it wants to move into areas like hydrogen, blue hydrogen, you know, does, does Norway have the gas resources to be a, a consistent, sustainable blue hydrogen provider in the years to come? Another big question mark as well. So I think they, they, they do have to work in tandem.
0: Let's um, uh, grab a hold of the the gas um, resources because we know that um, there's been exploration in the Barents Sea for uh, 40 years uh, or so and the results have, to say the least, been varying and... Um, and we haven't really, I don't know, cracked the code on the Barents Sea, it looks like. But even though if there had been interest now in the APA, if there had been interest also in the earlier licensing rounds, there's, they will have to find a lot to make it happen to actual, actually develop anything in the Barents Sea. How do you look at the Barents Sea? both from an investor point of view and uh, an operator's point of view, maybe even for the workforce in the north of Norway. There's quite a lot of people that could potentially work in this business if they had a job close to where they live. But it doesn't seem to really get any traction. That's a good point. I hadn't
1: actually thought about that um, geographical location point you just made. It's an interesting one. but I think ultimately, companies will be looking at the fundamentals. And, you know, as you say, if you look at results um, in recent years, it's going to take a brave investor, right, to to put their money in the bearings. Um, You know, it is a basin that's destroyed value in recent years. The Southeast parents discovered very little of note, and even the follow on campaigns in some of the more established areas, the High around Casberg, the Hoop area around Wisting, they just haven't delivered much. Now, you could argue there hasn't been enough wells, you know, maybe we need more wells. It's a very, very big area. And as you see, we haven't cracked the code, but ultimately companies want returns now. And I think the big issue we have, of course, was Wisting was postponed um, a few months before. And if, if you can't develop 500 million barrels of oil, then what can you develop? You know, that that is the, the big question mark. Um, but, you know, Norway needs more greenfield developments if it wants to maintain production at current levels, it's not going to be able to do that without material discoveries. And those material discoveries, if you look at the creaming curves, are still more likely to be found in the Barents Sea. Um, you've then got the gas story as well. I mean, we saw a, a relatively big gas discovery was made towards the end of last year by VAR Energy. And there's some interesting things happening there. I mean, I don't. it's not going to be big enough to Really move the needle when it comes to an export solution, but of course they're talking about Barents Blue, the the sort of ammonia plant that could be powered by blue hydrogen. That's one area where we might see at least some of the existing gas resources developed. I feel that the corporate when we speak to companies, the corporate appetite just just isn't there to really drive. I think the activity required for the Bearns to realise its um, its full potential, um, and so. I think Norway. If if that's the case, then then Norway needs to kind of accept that maybe it isn't going to maintain current levels of production um, beyond twenty thirty, and maybe that's okay. Uh,
0: you know. So when we talk about the North Sea and the NCSs um, energy super basin, let's just maybe not exclude the Barons, but let's not focus there. Maybe look across the borders in Denmark, Netherlands, UK. Look at the whole North Sea. Ask the Energy super basin, would that make any sense yeah I mean I think
1: I, th- I think just generally um, you know we 're going to need lots of alignment uh, between you know different jurisdictions. I think you even see the the deal that was announced a couple of weeks ago between Norway and Germany around you know the export of of blue hydrogen, potentially green hydrogen going forward. I think everything has to eventually to be kind of interconnected because Norway. I mean, let's be honest, if Norway wants to realise its full potential in areas like CCUS, well, the problem Norway has is it doesn't have many emitters of carbon, right? And so in terms of transport, if it wants to be competitive from a a cost perspective, it's going to have to take carbon from, you know, other areas. Um, And that's where we we need that that form of interconnection where Norway can deliver on things like CCS. it can deliver low carbon production um, but ultimately, it also needs a customer base as well. So that that interconnection point is a is a really good one.
0: I think we could talk about this uh, for quite a long time, but <laughs> I think we're gonna end it there and uh, sum it up in in saying that uh, the potential on the NCS is quite uh, big, as you see it.
1: Absolutely, it's big. Um, you know, one minor caveat to that is Norway hasn't had to probably progress in certain areas because it isn't an energy importer. It is an energy exporter. But if we look at you know, areas like CCUS, we look at areas like offshore wind, there is a risk that Norway does lag behind. Because by you know, 2040, it's going to be have 10 times less wind capacity than the UK. That's just one example. So of course, Norway potential, absolutely massive in all of these areas. Um, but the policy needs to be right. The regulation needs to be right. And they need to kind of seize the opportunity, I think, in the, in the short term to really realize that, uh, that long-term potential.
0: That's uh, quite the challenge to <laughs> end it off with. Thank you, uh, Naivan Borojerdi. You're the research director for North, Street, uh, North Sea Upstream at Wood Mackenzie. Thanks. As mentioned, the APA licenses has now been awarded and there was a rush of development plans before the New Year's and now will be, uh, it will be exciting to see how this acts in synergy with offshore wind plants, and of course plans for CCS and hydrogen on the Norwegian continental shelf. And we will be back with more relevant topics and discussions on the whole energy mix this spring. Hope you will come along for the ride. My name is Inger Johanna Stenberg and this was ONS Energy Talks.